Okay, let's pull up the app. Ready? So, app. so how do you how do you start one? Scan to ride. That is Stephen and I trying a scooter for the first time. It is quite clear we are very new to this. <laughs> okay. Oh, that was easy. You just paired with uh, a scooter. Unlock to get started. All right. How do I unlock? The scooter is unlocked. Your time ride starts now. Cool. Okay. Uh, I have a button saying go, so I'm pressing it. Let's let's. <laughs> <laughs> this is scary. Here we go. <laughs> listening to the podcast Advancing Sustainable Solutions, where we make sustainability research meaningful for the everyday person. This podcast is produced by the IIIEE at Lund University. This episode is hosted by Stephen Curtis and Sophie Sandin. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Sophie. I have to say I had so much fun riding around Lund with you on the one of these scooters. Yeah, I know. It was great fun, great weather, great company. And maybe the good thing with these scooters is that we did not have to think about where, you know, where to park them to get them back later, like you would with a car or a bike, but we could just leave them um, ready to be used by someone else after us. Yeah. So I want to ask our listeners, how many of you have noticed these scooters pop up in your own city? Companies like Voy, Lime, Tier, Bird, Skip, Spin, Jump, I might have made up that last one, but I have to say I want to be in the room when these scooter company names were decided. They're also bold, which I guess is a, a part of their draw. Yeah. Anyway, many of these scooter companies are, are based in Silicon Valley and, and they're proliferating in cities around the world. And the scooter craze has now arrived in Sweden, uh, here in Lund, where Stephen and I and the IIIE are located. Uh, they just seem to pop up out of nowhere, you know, overnight the city was full of them. And I have to admit that I'm not really sure how I feel about them. On the one hand, these scooters provide another transportation alternative instead of owning cars or bikes. However, they also take up bike parking space in the city, uh, and I often see them lying in piles on top of each other as if discarded. Or I find them in quite odd locations, like the nature reserve out in the outskirts of the city where I live. Now, Stephen, you are a researcher who is studying this sharing economy. It's true, yes. How do you feel about these new sharing schemes popping up around the cities? Yeah, I, uh, I certainly recognize the internal struggle that you face as well. Uh, it's one that I face in my research on the sharing economy. And depending on who you ask, these scooter companies belong to the sharing economy as they use technology, in this case a smartphone app, to allow people to access these scooters instead of buying them new. This is a fundamental aspect of the sharing economy, access over ownership. However, as we'll discuss later in the episode, this type of business model certainly has its downsides as well. Of course, sharing can be much more than scooters. Uh, and in this episode, we want to explore the various ways that we see sharing taking place in the city. At our institute, we have several projects that research the sharing economy from different perspectives, engaging all of our research themes, including sustainable consumption, urban governance, sustainable business models and policy analysis. The IIIE hosted an event during Lund University Sustainability Week to discuss insights into the sharing economy from these perspectives. 
We will share insights from this event, as well as discuss some of the hidden drawbacks in this episode. In a 2016 study conducted by the Norwegian University of Science and Technology, household consumption accounted for more than 60% of global greenhouse gas emissions and between 60 to 80% of the environmental impact on Earth. This includes things like biodiversity loss, ocean plastics, water overconsumption, and land use change. It is this reality that motivates me in my research, and I think many here at our institute, that are researching sustainable consumption. Clearly, we need to transform our unsustainable patterns of production and consumption. And I see the sharing economy as just one such solution to promote more sustainable consumption practices. The idea is that by sharing access to goods, you can increase the intensity of use. That is the amount of time a good is used over its lifetime. Ideally, this would reduce the need for people to own the same good and would lead to reduction in the total consumption. But like so many things in our lives, which just seem so complicated, uh, what is meant by the sharing economy is often contested. So let's explore the sharing economy and how it's discussed broadly. And Sophie, I have a question for you. What do you think about when you think about the sharing economy? Well, I think of mainly the giants that one hears a lot about associated with the sharing economy, like Airbnb and Uber sharing rooms and cars. Uh, but I imagine the sharing economy is much more than that. Yeah, I, you're certainly right. I often uh, hear these Airbnb and Uber when I'm talking about my research as well. Uh, but yeah, the sharing economy is so much diverse uh, than just these, these unicorns. There's a wide variety of ways that sharing can take place in cities. Uh, I'm careful to use the word sharing, though, as the sharing economy can describe a whole host of consumption practices, uh, which now include renting, borrowing, lending, swapping, and even buying secondhand. Uh, but to begin, maybe in this episode we can think about uh, what practices are described broadly under the umbrella of the sharing economy. In order to find out more, we stole some time from one of our colleagues who's researching the sharing economy, among other topics. Uh, I'm Nancy Bokken, I'm a professor in sustainable business, and I focus on uh, many different things, amongst other circular economy, sustainable business models, but now also sharing economy. Nancy was among the researchers to present at the recent event during Lund University Sustainability Week. We sat down with Nancy afterwards to discuss her work broadly, as well as into the sharing economy. Um, sharing economy is quite a broad uh, concept, uh, so uh, typically three uh, facets to it. So the first one is really about access over ownership and also using um, access spaces, for instance, and access uh, capacity like cars, for instance, and car sharing. Uh, the other aspect is, of course, to focus on the environment and trying to solve some of the environmental issues that we have. I think more and more people also see the social dimension as very important and social inclusion. Um, and the third aspect um, yeah, is really uh, around new business models maybe in that space. So for instance, peer-to-peer -peer, um, and involving people in a different way in different types of business models. So I think it's really a different way of uh, maybe redeveloping the economy in the future. 
Yep. What are some examples of things that can be shared? What are some examples that you think of as when you think of the sharing economy? Um, I think uh, the most well-known example is sharing cars, really. So um, our cars are not used 90% of the time on average, so we might only use them like an hour a day, and typically also by one person at a time. So there's a lot of excess space because a lot of the cars are made for four or five people. So one thing you can do is share your car with others. You can do that very uh, small, for instance, with people in your neighborhoods, but you can also do that through a platform. And a platform is also often seen like a digital platform as a way to facilitate the sharing economy through apps and um, knowing which spaces are really available to yeah. others. So that is one example, but I think the other one and maybe an older example is uh, companies like Airbnb. So people might have spare rooms in their homes and then, and then they can basically share it with others. Um, so if you're not at home, you can use that space. Or maybe if you are at home and you have an extra room, someone else can rent that space, for instance, for a shorter period of time. What's maybe like the weirdest thing you've heard that's been shared? Oh, that's a difficult question. To me, the, maybe it's not really sharing, but to me, the excess food and, uh, for instance, people being able to pick up food at the end of dinner time, so it's very time-bound and specific. Like, for instance, at the end of the meal, you can send around through your neighborhood, like, I have this spare amount of food. Does anyone need it? For me, that's such an immediate uh, need and very time-bound and specific that it's uh, it's quite interesting that there's businesses around it. And I don't know what the future will be, but I had discussions with other researchers on it. I think maybe 20, 15 years ago, the sharing economy wouldn't have been possible because we didn't have smartphones and apps and the internet as we know it. So I think more of these immediate needs, very specific types of overcapacity uh, will uh, become shared because it's possible now with uh, the technologies that we have. Yeah. I think these are good examples of the sharing economy. And I, I have to say, I'm just getting back from a research trip myself uh, where my research team and I, we went to Amsterdam. I took the direct bus from Copenhagen to Amsterdam and spent the week researching sharing initiatives in the city. And I have to say, Amsterdam has really put itself on the map for the sharing economy, in part helped by Sharonel and Sharing Cities Alliance, which are both based in Amsterdam. There were numerous examples of sharing in Amsterdam, from cars to books to food to accommodation to bikes and so on. And as you can imagine, uh, there is even the possibility to share boats in the Netherlands uh, as you meandered around the canals of Amsterdam. Beautiful. Cities around the world are taking an interest in the sharing economy, including even in our own backyard. Sharing City Sweden is a Swedish national program for the sharing economy in cities. Swedish cities, Stockholm, Gothenburg, Umeå, and Malmö act as testbeds experimenting and learning about how to promote or regulate the sharing economy in line with their goals. Sharing City Sweden is coordinated by researchers at our institute who are also present at the event during Sustainability Week. While I was in Amsterdam, Sophie, you attended the event. How was it? Yeah, it was a great mix of people in the room. Some of them working with the sharing economy from different angles, representing both academia and cities. So it was a great discussion. And while there, I also took the opportunity to catch some representatives from Sweden's second and third largest cities, that is Gothenburg and Malmö, to talk about how they work with different sharing initiatives in their cities. 
I was lucky enough to catch Ida Björling from Malmö Municipality, Tuve Lund from Gothenburg Municipality, and Oskar Henriksson, also from Gothenburg Municipality, to talk a bit about how they are working with sharing in their cities. So I'm going to start with uh, Gothenburg. Tove, how are you working with sharing in Gothenburg? Uh, well, in many ways, uh, Gothenburg has a very broad and lively community where we have many sharing initiatives coming from the civil society. And that is something that we from the local government has tried to encourage and facilitate during many years. We also have it in our city budget that the local government should enable and facilitate the sharing economy and, and try to see if it is a way to reach our sustainability goals. So I can give you some examples of what we're having in the city. We have mapped out all the initiatives in the city and that has resulted in something we call the smart map, which is now consisting of more than 100 different sharing initiatives. So you can find places in our city where you can rent, lend, borrow, swap and uh, give and get different things. And uh, we have developed that digital platform and uh, also this week it has been spread to Malmö. So they will have their own local version of the smart map. And we are happy to give this open source platform to any other city who would like to have it in their city. On this platform you can th find things like the toy library, which is Sweden's first toy library, we think, where children can come and lend toys. And so we're trying to develop that concept and to see how it works. And then we're also trying to uh, integrate sharing economy in the urban planning. But I think Oscar can tell us more about that. Yeah. So when it comes to urban planning, we have identified, I guess, uh, the sharing economy as a great tool, not only to uh, produce a city where you can live sustainable, but also a city that produces uh, trust between people and uh, provides social capital, so to say. And uh, in the project that I'm working with, we uh, try to integrate uh, the sharing economy. For instance, we are uh, planning on how we can use uh, sharing initiatives and business models to, that uh, work with, with sharing in different ways in the ground floors of the neighborhood. We don't want only th this to have the usual, you know, businesses or, or shops or uh, that are based on a, a linear or uh, unsustainable consumption. But for that to occur, we think that we need to have a differentiated uh, rental model. A lot of these initiatives needs to have a lower rent to be able to have a place in the city. And it's also with, with a motivation to produce a more socially sustainable uh, neighborhood. So, yeah, that's some of the things that we do when it comes to city planning. Very good. Thank you very much. And Ida, you are working in Malmö around industrial symbiosis. Can you tell me a bit, a bit more about what that is? Yes, I can. It's called industrial and urban symbiosis. And as you can hear on the name, it's a symbiosis, like a mushroom and a tree. Uh, they can help each other, they can share, and it's a win-win situation for both. So that's pretty much what we want to create, but in this case, between industries, but also with the city. So basically between different industries. They can share resources such as material, but also energy, water, and also with the city. So one example that is quite clear is when, for example, a company has a lot of 
uh, heat that they don't need, maybe low temperature heat. They can put that on the energy net of the city and we can use it for heating. And it can also be between different companies so they can share. If someone has uh, bread and someone wants to produce yeast, that's a possibility they can share the, the resources. So we want to create that kind of um, relations and give good example. Which would you say is the greatest opportunity with sharing economy in cities? I think definitely the opportunity to provide a sustainable lifestyle for, for people living and using the cities. And that includes all kinds, uh, all parts of the uh, sustainability. Um, I mean, it's a way to provide ecological sustainability, social sustainability, as well as economical sustainability. Yeah, I can add, I think uh, a big opportunity is just to minimize the use of, of resources, uh, whatever level, like if we're an industrial level or just individual, uh, I think this sharing can uh, help us a lot. And that is very natural, so we should really go in that direction. What I take with me from my conversation with Ida Oskarantuve is the level of experimentation that is embedded in these sharing initiatives, and also the curiosity that drives both the cities and the citizens in trying out new ways of doing things. But I also take with me the uncertainty of how the different efforts will play out. Sharing initiatives will not have positive effects by default. So how do we know that a sharing scheme is indeed sustainable or is leading to reduced climate impacts? I also spoke to Petter Olsson, who is investigating and calculating how a city district of Stockholm can reduce the climate impact by half until 2030. I'm doing calculations and focusing on actors regarding the climate transition and the local climate target. So I do different scenarios from a consumption-based emission perspective. I believe that sharing is a, a big part of reducing emissions when it comes to uh, car sharing, for example. I do calculations then, uh, for example, how will emissions decrease if everyone has their own electric vehicle and how much lower is it if, for example, five persons or five houses share one car. And then uh, there's also a big category that is other consumption in my work. And uh, I see a huge potential there for sharing different products and sometimes services. So I really think there is a need uh, for new behavioral change when it comes to sharing and I think that it will have a very great impact on climate emissions and uh, yeah so that's my per perspective on on um, on uh, sharing from speaking with Ida Oscar and Tuva as well as those I interviewed in Amsterdam it's clear that the sharing economy is being discussed as a way to contribute to environmental and social sustainability And of course, this is necessary, especially as the total amount of resources that are being extracted from Earth has increased by three times since 1970. But how do we ensure that the sharing economy is sustainable? What then do we need to realize this potential? Sophie, what do you think? Well, I would say business models that can support and create value around these new ways of using and sharing goods. Yeah, I think business models are one way that we can start to approach thinking about how to facilitate sharing as being sustainable. But how are business models in the sharing economy different from status quo? 
we asked Nancy this question. Yeah, I think in some ways they are quite different and unique because the role of companies might change as well. So a company might become a facilitator as well. So bringing uh, consumer to consumer together. So the business is there to intermediate the relationship between customers. And before it was the co- uh, the company maybe delivering a specific service to the customer. But then now people actually become the co-creators of the business itself by uh, making sure their cars are clean or their homes are almost like hotel rooms that nice so you become the creator as a service and the company might have a different different role as a platform for instance nancy says that companies often operate as platforms mediating sharing between people on the platform platforms can be formal such as a company or business or informal operating as grassroots community or a non-traditional organization In my research, I conceptualize various business models based on the actors involved in sharing. There are two predominant models, business-to-consumer and peer-to-peer. The first, business-to-consumer models, operate as traditional businesses, where the business owns a stock of resources and facilitates access to these resources. This type of model has been around for decades. For example, car rentals have been possible as far back as the 1930s. What is different in the modern sharing economy is that the rental period is typically limited. That is, that it's more temporary. In contrast, peer-to-peer models see sharing taking place between people, where the shared resource is not owned by the company, but by a peer involved in sharing. This model can be described as business-to-business, where the peers involved are businesses themselves leveraging a platform to facilitate access to shared resources. Other models exist, though, but to a much lesser extent. These include business-to-peer, crowd, and public-to-citizen models. In a business-to-peer model, the platform mediates sharing between a business, who owns a resource, and peers in order to gain access to the shared resource. The crowd model describes sharing from one to many, from many to many, or from many to one. Crowd platforms include crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, cooperatives, and shared ownership models. Finally, public-to-citizen models describe government-maintained or supported sharing platforms. Let's take shared mobility as an example when we keep on discussing this. The scooters we tried could be seen as a business-to-consumer platform, providing temporary access to a stock of goods that are owned by the company. We were able to pick up and leave the scooters wherever we wanted. This type of model is called free-floating. The same model is seen in car sharing and bike sharing schemes. Uh, Other business-to-consumer models exist as well. For example, station-based models see cars or bikes available for temporary access, but only to picked up and dropped off at specific points or stations in the city. Peer-to-peer shared mobility exists as well, but to a lesser extent. This sees peers sharing cars between each other, where the platform facilitates access. We also see crowd models when discussing shared mobility, for example, car cooperatives. Pette mentioned this when we talked with him. He shares an example of a car cooperative when several neighbors chip in to own a shared vehicle and facilitate access amongst themselves. When I read an article or listen to a presentation about the sharing economy, there are usually two arguments that are made in favor of the sharing economy. The first is that the sharing economy facilitates access over ownership. 
This means that people have access to more goods and services at a reduced cost compared to that of ownership. The second argument is that the sharing economy leads to more sustainable consumption. This is because by accessing instead of owning goods, it is claimed that this leads to a reduction in the total number of goods produced. Yeah, now Stephen, I understand from conversation with you that you're quite critical of the sharing economy. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I'm critical of the sharing economy. Uh, I believe that we need new forms of consumption, and I truly believe in the sharing economy as one way to challenge our existing unsustainable consumption patterns. This is fundamentally why I'm studying the sharing economy. However, I think that maybe we need to be a bit more critical about what constitutes sharing within the sharing economy, especially if we're promoting the sharing economy for its sustainability potential. If we're going to promote the sharing economy for its sustainability potential, then the practices under its umbrella must at least have the potential to be more sustainable. I think, though, unfortunately, at present, many of the practices just are not more sustainable. And I think there's a risk, which we're already seeing, of the sharing economy being co-opted for primarily economic motivations without realizing any of this sustainability potential. Yeah, okay. So let's discuss this from an example. We can use the scooters. These companies, like Bird, Tear, and Lime, they're said to belong to the sharing economy because they facilitate access instead of ownership. But does the presence of scooters induce a behavior change that is more or less sustainable? A single scooter is maybe used multiple times a day, which means that less scooters are needed to service the same number of people compared to if everyone owned their own scooter. But would you have owned a scooter to begin with? As a mode of transportation, does the scooter replace a car or a bike that people already own and use quite often? And I think we can take this a step further. In a market economy where there is competition, there's an incentive for these scooter companies to saturate the market in order to compete with their rivals. If there are more scooters from Bird than Lime, it is more convenient for me to use a Bird scooter. However, what this creates is an overcapacity of underutilized scooters. What I mean by this is that there are more scooters than there are demand for scooters. And of course, I argue that this leads to more production instead of less. One example I often use in my presentations are images of the bike graveyards in China, a consequence of extreme competition among bike sharing companies in Chinese cities. Now, if you already haven't seen these pictures of the bike graveyards in China, I strongly urge you to Google bike graveyards. It is really a visceral feeling seeing the images of hundreds of thousands of mangled bikes becoming scrap metal. And there are many more issues to mention. There are legitimate safety questions for riders who often do not wear a helmet and pedestrians who share the sidewalks. There are conflicts between bike parking and scooter parking and pedestrian space and storefronts and vehicle traffic. I recently read that the city of Stockholm now is looking into how to create so-called hotspots where the scooters can be parked to avoid having them parked all over the city. Then there is the next issue of the scooters needing to be charged. The companies owning the scooters pay chargers, citizens like you and me, to pick up, charge at home and return scooters throughout the city. Now this is a perfect example of the gig economy which is fraught with its own issues of casualization of labor. And then there's a question of how scooters fit into the broader mobility mix of cities. Different companies have different approaches in different cities. 
However, there's a plethora of news articles to suggest that there is often little collaboration or discussion between the scooter companies and the city up until the point the cities decide to regulate them. Then there's also the tragedy of the commons, where people sometimes tend to care less for or be less careful with goods or items that they do not own, and where they're not directly accountable to the owners. I have seen scooters left in terrible conditions around the city, and I can't help but wonder if these business models facilitate this kind of careless use, which creates waste and does not support sustainable behavior. And I think some of the issues that are associated with the scooter sharing platforms here in Lund and elsewhere are an example of uh, some of the other problems more broadly that face the sharing economy. This is why in my research, I argue that one can't simply classify a business model as part of the sharing economy. Instead, one needs to consider the practice that the business model facilitates. So for example, Airbnb allows you to rent out a single room an entire apartment or house while the owners are traveling, or an entire apartment but from a property manager that owns several apartments throughout a city. I argue that some of these practices may belong to the sharing economy, while others don't, even though the practice takes place on the same platform. We can also take the example of Uber. Users hail an Uber to get from one place to another. However, some use Uber to replace a taxi ride, and others to replace private car ownership. This is another reason why it is important to ask what practice the business model facilitates. As I said, I am in part critical of the sharing economy because I think that many of the business models do not lead to more sustainable consumption practices. This is why I set out to define the sharing economy for sustainability. I just want to share two aspects of the sharing economy that I've discovered through my research that I think are important when we consider the sharing economy for sustainability. The first is that the sharing economy facilitates sharing between two actors. This is done through a platform, which connects a resource owner with a resource user. Now, I don't think this necessarily has to be between peers, business to business, business to peer, and crowd models also leverage a platform to connect a resource owner and a resource user. The distinction is that the stock of goods shared is not owned by the platform or company facilitating the sharing practice. We see that when sharing takes place between two actors on a platform, the resource user is more careful in using the shared good because they know who they have to return the good to when they're done. This also has the potential to lead to enhanced social sustainability and a sense of community. The second important thing is that the sharing economy facilitates access to idling or underutilized goods. By sharing an existing stock of goods that is underutilized, this increases the intensity of use, which can reduce overall consumption when shared among many people. The important distinction here is that goods in the sharing economy are not purchased for the purpose of sharing. They are an already existing stock of goods which are underutilized. Considering this, the scooters and many business-to-consumer models fall outside of the sharing economy because the businesses own the goods, which are purchased for the purpose of facilitating access. While these practices may lead to more sustainable consumption, I suggest they do not belong to the sharing economy.
not going to be positive by default, so we really need to design the sharing initiatives and know that we, they are actually leading towards the global sustainability goals. So we need to design them, and in order to do that, we also need to evaluate what we're doing all the time. So we are working a lot with measuring social impact from our sharing initiatives and finding ways to do that. It's not easy, but it's necessary. That was Tove again from the city of Gothenburg, reminding us that the sharing economy includes a variety of consumption practices that may or may not lead to more sustainable consumption. Continued scrutiny and research is needed before we are able to say which practices of the sharing economy are or are not sustainable. Now Stephen, as a researcher studying the sharing economy, how do we say that practices in the sharing economy are more sustainable? <laughs> uh, Sophie, that's the million dollar question. And uh, I know my research team on a research project lasting five years will seek to address this very question. My impression that is that it's just really difficult to say what practices are more or less sustainable in the sharing economy. And that's why my effort has really been about defining the practices in the sharing economy that are more likely to be more sustainable uh, instead of waiting for uh, sustainability analysis to be complete in five years time. The one thing, though, that I want to emphasize is that I understand that many people see the potential of the sharing economy in different ways. So, for example, the sharing economy is seen as an innovative business model leading to enhanced economic opportunity. The sharing economy is leading to new forms of employment that are more desirable and more flexible in our changing society. And then, of course, the sharing economy may contribute to more sustainable consumption practices. I think that what we wish to recognize and encourage is that those actors involved in regulating, promoting, executing or using the sharing economy think about their motivation for engaging with it and make sure that the platforms they support align with that motivation. For me, I realize that the sharing economy is much more than just Uber and Airbnb and that it is much more complex than just some scooters on the streets of Lund. How do we summarize the sharing economy? And perhaps more importantly, how can you and I thoughtfully engage and be part of a sustainable sharing practice? We asked Nancy to share some advice for those interested in being part of the sharing economy. Try it. And if you're a bit scared by companies and apps, think about what you can do, like in your community, like in a local church or in a library, even uh, set up something uh, that you think uh, will attract people as well. For instance, if you know a couple of people interested in sharing clothes, why not organize uh, an event in the local area where you live and get some um, neighbors, friends, um, everyone involved and get them to start up the event. And who knows, it might grow bigger as well. So just start and experiment maybe in your local area with some, with some options. So Nancy says, give it a try. For example, the city of Gothenburg sees a lot of such initiatives from the civil society, which the city tries to support and facilitate by providing the smart map, where one easily can find all the sharing places in the city. Now, if you don't have such a smart map of your city, you can still find multiple sharing initiatives online on social platforms, where people come together to share things. For example, if you're based in Lund, I know there is a Facebook initiative called Stuff Free 2019, which you can have a look at, or just search for words like sharing or stuff free and get connected. Sophie and I want to thank those people that we were able to talk with in producing this episode. Everybody that we talked with was equally passionate about the sharing economy. And I think that we'll continue to see sharing in the city grow in relevance as we seek to leverage urban density to share among our neighbors and strangers. 
Now, given the global sustainability challenges that we face, I just hope that the sharing economy is part of the solution and not part of the problem. If anything, I hope that sharing challenges ourselves to consider our own consumption, leading us towards sufficiency. If we all think more critically, creatively, and collaboratively in how we consume, I'm hopeful that the sharing economy can deliver on its purported potential. Yeah, you know, one thing that I notice is my bell doesn't work on my... Well, lucky yeah. you, I have All right, well, good thing I'm writing with you then. Yes. Do you have your card? Let's, let's... <laughs> <laughs>